Hey everyone, welcome back to One Shot at a Time, a D&D podcast where we take a random prompt and turn it into a one-shot adventure. I am your forever dungeon master, Daniel Locke. And I'm here t- again. It's Andrew. It's Andrew. He is here again, back at it again. Um, That doesn't work for you. That's more for me because I'm Daniel and I'm always back at it. Well, I mean, I was here last episode and the one before that and the one before that and then back in season two so you know it's still it's still relatable <laughs> yeah very relatable he is the one that comes back no no no, that's a uh, kardashian oh that's kardashian okay do you get it no what to come back never mind anyway that's a uh, that's a parks and rec reference <laughs> is it okay see i don't watch enough what enough wait do you not know parks and rec i know parks and rec but i only know parks and rec through youtube clips of ron and his, like, obscure love of riddles. <laughs> I don't know why I always get fed this YouTube clip through the algorithm where Ron just is like, I'm a master of riddles, and I love it so much. It's a gift, and I'm like, and also a curse. And I'm like, why is this being fed to me? I don't watch anything about Parks and Rex. Hey, okay, okay. If you're going to watch Parks and Rec, though, season one is not the best. But once uh, Chris Pratt's character comes in, definitely the show gets a lot more lively. Uh, I just sent you okay. the uh, the clip, though. Oh, I remember this clip. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I remember that clip. Yeah, they, with Chris Pratt talking about the Kardashians. Got, uh, yeah. Okay. Now I get it. For everyone who ever is curious, just Google Chris Pratt, Kim Kardashian, comeback blooper. Okay? Just things going over my head. You and your references. Anyways. Yeah, welcome back, Andrew. Thank you for coming back again to finish out our season finale for season four of One Shot at a Time. Woo! Woo, we made it. We made it. Four seasons, a whole year. This is probably going to mark our, like, quote-unquote, yearly anniversary, too. So this is also our anniversary episode, which is... Wait, when did you release episode one? Uh, I think it was around the time this one's going to get released, which is the end of January, or, like, first week of February. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, I've talked about this before, but, like, the reason I made the podcast was because the month before in Seattle, I was at emerald city comic-con and i saw the mcelroys talk about podcasting i was like oh that sounds fun let's do it but because i'm lazy and i have a bad habit of never completing things i do i told myself i need to start releasing episodes by the end of january and if i don't do it i'll never do it so that was the goal okay do you think that planning or giving yourself that goal has given you other creative liberties or allowed you to pursue other long-term goals yeah for sure i think the idea of like you have to set a timeline and be immediately accountable to do it really helped me get out of my uh forever procrastination <laughs> field. Yeah. It's gotten me to start doing improv, which is really great, and I started taking acting classes, which I mean like I always tell myself I wanna try these things, but I never did it. So I was like, if I, I have to sign up by this week and if I don't, I'm not gonna do it. And if ideally I would try to sign up the day of when I think of it. Oh wait, so do you have to sign up for these classes the day of? It's not it's not like a scheduled thing? Oh, no, you, you sign up beforehand. It was just for me personally, just so oh, I would actually do okay, it. Okay, okay, okay. Do you feel like since you started these classes, you can see improvement in your ability to do all that? I don't know. Maybe the listeners will let us know to see if our podcast has improved in any ways. I think my improv has improved a bit, which is nice, but still a long way to go. Eh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard thing to do for sure. Yeah, and I mean, I can only do so much when I don't have a natural talent for it. Oh, I understand. Especially when you don't have a natural host that has the ability to improv. <laughs> I get it. I get it. All right, just make sure, you know, uh, just get that backpack ready for me, sir. Uh, I'm just going to hop right in. <laughs> <laughs> nah, 
No, we all love Andrew. Andrew's great with his random references from places that I don't understand that are Okay, but you seen you seen that Parks and Rec video though, okay? Or the the blooper though, okay? Yes, it's like I iconic have, on Reddit. If you've been on Reddit, <laughs> you've seen this video. <laughs> yes, clearly. You're right. I have seen this video. It's on Reddit, it's on TikTok, it's on YouTube. It is a great clip and it's super funny. It's just always got to bring it into a raunchy territory and make me have to mark the episode explicit. Well, you already do that, and I'm just making sure that that explicit <laughs> content tag is like, there's a reason for that, you know? Uh, you're just ironing it in. Yeah, like, I'm pretty sure you have it on every episode anyway, right? That's fair, yes. I, we do. We are an explicit podcast, which when I first started, I had to change that around, but we'll go over <laughs> that probably later. Yeah, I think what we'll do is probably at the end of the season as the next episode after, we'll probably do another quick Q&A where we follow up. We kind of talked about it today, but you're here for an episode of uh, One Shot at a Time, so let's make something. Okay, uh, so I was thinking since last week we talked about like childhood cartoons. So one of the other cartoons that I thoroughly enjoyed was Avatar: The Last Airbender, and not to be confused with the the blue people, but <laughs> um, but yeah, Avatar. I think when you say the Last Airbender, I think people are like, oh yeah, okay, okay, fine. Then not the not the movie, not the live action movie, because that does not exist. Yes, that's also fair. <laughs> oh wait, but off topic though, you know that they're making a season or like a third iteration, right? With like the third, the next Avatar, which I think is supposed to be an Earthbender now. Yes, I did see news about that on Avatar News, which was pretty cool. Though I think at the end of Korra, like uh, Tara was telling about this, that like the only Avatar spirit that the new Earthbender will be able to talk to would be Korra, and how terrible that would be for him. I I mean that is true. I'm trying to remember how it ended because I know that the Avatar line got decimated or something like that, or she used the Avatar state. And uh, honestly, it's been a while, but I think that would be correct. And then, huh? That's true. But we did <laughs> see a cool theory about the new series, what they could be tackling in the idea that they might be two avatars because there was two spirits, one of good and one of evil. So maybe two of them got reborn into this world, and now it's like, uh, who's the good avatar? Who's the evil avatar? Maybe there's like a weird battle there? I don't know. Well, the other question with that, too, is that like technically based off of the timeline, the original avatar, and then Korra, is this going to be like more modern society? Yeah, that was my question. It's like, because Korra was kind of like steampunk-esque style technology are we moving into like the 90s or something now yeah. with the next time skip like are we gonna have like the backstreet boys coming in and stuff and and then it's fallout because it's gonna be a collision between two avatars at max power causing a fallout to occur oh yeah it's gonna follow <laughs> our storyline for sure yeah it's gonna be pretty dope though i'm pretty excited and then they also have the live action netflix adaption that they're doing too which i think sounds not bad i mean they have a lot of like fun actors so i'm excited to see what that's gonna be about that will be interesting. I am looking more forward to this one compared to the M. Light uh, Shyamalan, or I think that's his name. Right? I, I think that's most people, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then I think I saw, like, just yesterday on Twitter, I don't know if this is, like, legitimate or have been, like, confirmed, but that they're also working on, like, the adult Avatar team with Aang, like, a storyline based off that, and then they're also going to work on a Zuko-specific film. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see Zuko explored a little bit more, especially him as a Fire Lord, and, like, the political struggles that he probably has to go through. And maybe that would allow him to realize that his grandfather was actually correct, and was like, gotta get rid of these fuckers, you know? <laughs> I 
God, I hope that'd be a weird <laughs> turn of events. And then now he's the next Fire Lord that's going to cause the Comet to do all that again. Just reiterating, you know, don't learn from the past. I think he physically couldn't just because the Comet comes like every thousand years or something ridiculous. But hey, who knows? Maybe he makes his own Comet. Maybe he is the Comet. Maybe Zuko Ooh. becomes a Comet. And then uses his dragon to, to do that. Does he have a dragon? No, no, he doesn't have a dragon yet. But maybe he could get a dragon. Maybe he finds some new dragons to use for turning into a comet. Maybe. Well, I mean, there was two, at least two dragons at the end of Avatar. True, true. They're, because they had the whole dancing dragon episode. episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is a very cool way to, like, talk, like, talk about, like, the difference of how firebending had evolved from, like, a more mili- like the, the dancing style to a more militaristic style. I was like, oh, that's interesting. It's because firebending is life, mm-hmm. not destruction. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, we decided that for <laughs> this episode, I mean, just to bring it all back, you know, as much as I would love to do an Avatar podcast, this is not an Avatar podcast. I mean, we could start from watching episode one and then talk about it and then continue on until Korra and then you could finally watch Korra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be a bending podcast. That'd be a whole thing. We could talk about bending bowl for like hours. <laughs> okay. One more tangent really quickly. I was really hoping that we were going to like, because of how bending was evolving and people were getting together that people would start developing new styles of bending based off of the combinations of different elements so i thought bending bowl was gonna be that like the more modernization of like bending would be really cool but it didn't happen as much as we thought it would well that's the thing like they made it to a point where like i'm pretty sure that only the avatar has the ability to control more than one element yeah, but then you have people that can lava bend and shit, and it's like, all right, well, well, that's true. That's a thing. Yeah, that and the metal bending, and yeah, the lore starts getting kind of murky once uh, Korra kicks in for sure. True, but I mean, if you're a fire bender, you should be able to control the heat, and if you're an earth bender, you should be able to control the earth, and you know, yeah. lava is just a mixture between the two. Exactly. So clearly, people who have like. Mixed bloodlines can do both, you know. The mud oh. bloods here representing, right? No, no, no. no. That's when it co- turns into Naruto, ah. <laughs> and then that's when they get Kikaginkai's. Oh, there you go. Okay, so that's clearly the birth Avatar of is a prequel to Naruto. Okay, we got this. We got this. We figured out the lore. We know where the story's going. Yep. Stage of Six Path is birth from the Avatar state. In a way, it kind of is, right? Because like Naruto is like a reincarnation. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a whole thing. And then all the kaiju's, you know, from the Ten Tails distributing all of them you know there's some weird ass creatures in avatar to begin with yeah very true very true very true so that could be where they all originated from okay uh, <laughs> let's get on topic now what's the prompt for today andrew <clears throat> so the topic for today is going to be the bloodbending episode i thought that that was a pretty cool episode learning the intricacies of what extent of water bending can take especially when before water was interpreted more as like a I guess, defense type of... And healing, too. And healing, yeah. So using it more as a combative type of bending as well as, like, controlling others would be kind of cool. I really like the concept of how they developed it. So, like, the specific episode for anyone who maybe hasn't watched Avatar yet or hasn't watched all the way through of Last Airbender comes in, I think, around Season 3 for the Fire Book when the Avatar group is in the Fire Nation. Spoilers. Which, I guess... For anyone who hasn't seen the show, there's going to be a lot of spoilers, so sorry. But you should definitely watch it because it's still a great show. It is a very great show. It's well animated and it holds up pretty well through the times. Oh yeah, it definitely still holds up. 
But the episode is called The Puppet Master. And the way the story kind of goes from my memory and from watching it is that the Avatar group essentially stumbles into like, it's kind of like a creepy ass village area. And there's this like old lady that they run into that turns out to be a waterbender. And it turns out she's actually crazy and has like weird power issues and created bloodbending and forces Katara to learn how to use it. And eventually the Avatar group takes him down. Yes. Am I missing anything particularly? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the bloodbending, at least for her, she was only able to do during the full moon when the power of the of waterbending was at its peak. Oh, right. It is tied to the moon. Yes. Because Sokka's girlfriend becomes the moon, and that's pretty rough. Yeah, that's... That's... I mean... Yeah... I would hate to be Sokka in that situation. <laughs> yeah, if your girlfriend turned to the moon, I don't think you'd be too happy. Very long distance. I mean, does Tara want to be a moon? <laughs> <laughs> well, she did ju- She did cosplay as UA, so that was fun. Oh, okay. That yeah, turned out really well. Uh, we actually met Dante Bosco at Emerald City Comic Con. Oh, and... no way. Wait. Yeah, it was pretty dope. It was really nice. Yeah, yeah, we got a picture with him. He's super nice. He is a super chill guy. Probably one of the, ver- like, like I'm sure most voice actors are very nice, but it was like very like uh heartwarming to see someone like so like who seems so down to earth and stuff, and is like super friendly and cares about the content that he makes, and also knows about it really well. Yeah, I mean, I think when people are invested in their own project, it allows for a better outcome. So the fact yeah. that he he was so invested in playing Zuko, mm-hmm. it showed with the character development and his portrayal with with the uh, the people that watch the show. For sure, for sure. And, you know, I mean, everyone resonated really well and everyone loves him. So all all together, I'd say good job, Dante Bosco, and what you did. Although I don't think Zuko actually shows up in this episode, does he? Uh, no. Mm, I don't think so. Hey, man, you're the one that rewatched the episode. You let me. <laughs> yeah, from my, uh, from what I remember, I don't believe he shows up. But, um, I mean, the base summary of the episode, just really quickly, is that Ava- Team Avatar arrives at a creepy village. People are disappearing. Um, they meet this creepy old lady in the woods who is actually a waterbender hiding out here. And then she shares her tragic backstory of how she's from the Southern Water Tribe. And how, as she fought to defend her people, slowly each one of them got taken. And then she was eventually, like, arrested in, like, a iron ship with, like, barely any water to survive until she learned how to bloodbend and kill people or essentially kill people and control them and she also learned how to extract water from people and she wanted to pass down her technique to another waterbender so she passed it down to katara by force and then katara used that power to beat her and it's a whole thing and that's kind of essentially how the episode ends it's very creepy to be fair it's like set up like like a horror movie well wait actually this actually reminds me of the idea that i I was thinking of like back in halloween Remember we were talking about uh, doing like a Halloween episode for oh with the puppets. The puppets. And stuff? Yeah, now thinking about it, it kind of reminds me of that. So the original thing I had about that was there was a village essentially where a uh, like a puppet master or like a puppet creator, essentially someone that built puppets. Okay, um, but for some reason there were people missing in the village constantly, sporadic moments possibly full moon wasn't sure exactly what what caused that to occur but there was a frequency in which case people entered woods 
people disappearing on a either nightly basis or monthly basis. And we had to find a way for the adventures to determine why these people were going missing. And it turned out that the souls of the individuals or the essence, the, maybe the bodies of the villagers were becoming or were turn, being turned into puppets. Okay. So Dressrosa arc, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty good way of, uh, for those One Piece fans out there, if you know what that, if that what that reference is for. Uh, but yeah. There's some One Piece fans out there. It's not Richard, but there's some One Piece fans out there. I love One Piece. Such a good show. Zoro is definitely my favorite character. Oh, Zoro is freaking dope. He is so sick. Um, one of the coolest characters ever created. And with the weirdest fighting style on Earth, because I don't know how anyone can hold a sword in their mouth. That shit is not easy. Uh, he's got a strong jaw. Um, that's a reason. Sure. Why not? You gotta have a pretty strong jaw to be able to just... That and maybe like a strong ass neck to just whip it like... <laughs> yeah, but like from a technical standpoint, it seems kind of pointless. But it looks very cool though. Like the concept is like, this is a very unique fighter. And it kind of shows off how One Piece develops a series because mm-hmm. everyone gets really weird shit to use and acts really weird, which is fun. I mean, if you're if you're fighting against like a hundred people with double fruit abilities, you kind of need some uh, unique fighting styles to combat that. Very true, very true. Um, I mean, the strongest swordsman in the world in the One Piece world just has a big black sword. So, well, true. I mean, I guess technically all you need to do is splash a little bucket of ocean water, but that's <laughs> besides the point. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we can definitely run with the idea of your um halloween theme puppet style story because realistically like if we're gonna like we could even combine all three in a way yeah because wait one piece well one piece the puppet master and oh okay uh, avatar yeah like this puppet like because they're all kind of related like which is the idea that you have this creepy person like there's some evil entity that exists that makes people disappear and honestly that could just be the hook for the adventure for an adventure module right if someone's like, hey, I have a D&E game for you, you guys are going to be four adventurers that stumble upon a creepy village where people are disappearing, and they're going to ask you to figure out why, where everyone's going. That's like a fun mystery. Yeah. In that case, if we're going to do a, do you want to do a mystery theme, or do you want to do it like, it's like a combat focused, or maybe do you want the characters to turn into puppets partway through the story? Ooh, okay. I, th- I think I... I'm more tailored into the mystery aspect of it that gives a uh people to be able to role play a lot more but at least it gives us a, a nice flow of how to create like a specific one shot for like a new dm so let's do this then like let's say we we set the setting where the party arrives after a full moon in a village and people are distraught because another member of their village has gone missing and no one knows where and the party is now tasked because they're powerful adventurers to figure out what's happening in the village. Who's making these people disappear? But at the same time, the party, because they're not part of the village, will maybe notice that there's puppets or toys or whatever kind of just strewn around the village. Just like kind of sitting down or hanging around or something. So are these puppets also going to be animated? That's a good question. Should they be moving? Like, are we considering that as NPCs or are they just going to be like lifeless toys just in the middle of the road? That's a good question. I think directionally for me, I like the idea that they're actual NPCs. Like they're they're characters that exist in the world, but like what's the reason that the players can see them but the villagers can't? Or maybe is there a reason that the villagers don't know them? Are like cuz we can take it from Dressrosa where it's like 
the villagers just don't have any memories of these toys and they just don't treat the toys well. And this is like a village where toys and people are living together. Like we can pull it straight from one piece in that aspect. But I feel like that makes it too easy to figure out like if the players can converse with the toys, like no, because they know exactly who the problem is. Huh? Well, I'm trying to remember, did all the toys have or remember their past? So in the Dressrosa arc, all the character, all the toys remember their past, but when they're turned into toys, the human people forget who they are. Like, they get wiped from existence. Right. Oh, and then the moment they attempt to converse or try to spill what happened, then they get taken, right? Exactly, yeah. And they're, like, okay. working in, like, what essentially is, like, mines or something somewhere. Yeah. Okay. So in that case, we're going to need, like, law enforcement or something in this village that is essentially keeping tabs on these puppets. Yeah. But I'm not I'm not so sold on that direction for yeah. this particular mystery either cuz in the same essence like I like that the people are being turned into toys but I think it gets a little complicated for the DM because it's like oh there's all these NPCs running around and there's clearly puppets so people know something's weird. What if it's the direction where these puppets exist but they're un- they're not animated but they can they can think and talk but they just can't move. Okay? okay. So now you just see toys around. So well, we don't we don't even need to have the toys like surrounded in the village. Like we could make it so that this puppet master or whatever is taking these villagers and keeping them as like trophies. Oh yeah, and that's keeping true. them in their like not like a toy chest, but like in their workshop essentially. Oh okay. So yeah, then yeah, when yeah. we get to the workshop, you can either converse with the toys and being and giving them like personality and. Giving them info, uh, giving the players information of what's actually occurring. Okay, so we have the uh, the problem. Uh, essentially, we have a puppet master that's turning the villagers into toys after a full moon. Okay, and he keeps them in his workshop as a trophy. How do we get the players to the workshop to discover this puppet master is evil? And who is the puppet master? I guess the question. I mean, we could either do like a mayor aspect, or we could do like a person in the village but like on the outskirts of the village where everyone's like oh don't interact with the hag at the end of the village you know she's crazy oh what if like because you love twists so what if the hag at the end of the village knows the magic on how to create these toys but she's not the true enemy in this scenario right what if she had an apprentice that lives amongst the village and he's the one like Who's gone, like, mad with power and turning people into toys and into, like, these puppets. Ooh, okay. So maybe that's the twist at the end. It's like, oh, you go confront the the hag thinking she's the actual villain, but it turns out that she only makes toys, like, maybe she's like a Santa Claus. She makes toys for people, um, or, like, she, like, creates, like, prosthetics for them or something. Oh, that's cool. Okay, I like that. So then, like, you can see these prosthetics being used throughout the village. But, like, the question with that, then, is why are the villagers... Not afraid of her, but dissuaded from people or telling people not to go visit her, even though they're using her tech. So I think what we would do here is that the village itself maybe doesn't use her prosthetics. Like no one in the village uses her prosthetics. That's why they're afraid of her because she's like this crazy wizard up in the hills or in the woods who uh, has the power to use magic. So the village is afraid of her naturally because of that. So they have this unknown, they have a bias against her. But the old hag that lives on the village uses her abilities to create prosthetics for like animals and like things so they know that she makes these things but the people don't use them she's using them on animals and people like less oh, human creatures, okay. maybe. or maybe like orphans or something if you really want to push the agenda of she's not a bad person kind of thing but she has the ability to turn things into 
wooden body parts instead. And that's why people are like, oh, she's clearly the villain. She's making people disappear because she can use magic. Okay, so do we incorporate so this apprentice knows how to make said dolls as well and then using said magic to put a person's soul into that object? Or is this person also just stealing her stuff and using magic to put people in there? I think the apprentice who exists probably knows how to use the magic himself like maybe to a very basic degree like she's the master he's just like someone who like learned the basics and he's like Mm -hmm. he learned one evil spell which is if at any time she's in danger he can turn someone to a puppet okay that's his spell he just like polymorphs them into a puppet like that's his ability (laughs) Okay, okay okay and then when they're polymorphed into a puppet they can't move like essentially they've lost the ability to move okay but maybe like for a combat encounter later we can play that into like his legendary actions and how all that works So I'm thinking that maybe he resides in the village. Maybe it's like a child or a teenager, or maybe it could be the mayor who like lives in the village. Maybe that's how he became the mayor, right? Like he used his ability to get rid of his political opponents by turning into puppets. And now he is now the mayor. So anyone who doesn't agree with him, he just turns them into puppets. So his political enemies. And then he uses his influence as or power as the mayor to dissuade other people in the village to interact with the the witch on the top of the hill yeah and he probably can use like fake news to essentially Ah, uh, paint her in a bad light yeah bad publicity so i think we have some powerful npcs here to work with we have the evil mayor which i guess we have a habit of making evil political figures go figure no we're just making the truth daniel this is the truth oh yeah yeah he has a toupee (laughs) so we have an evil mayor okay He, he probably gets introduced to the characters pretty early as he's like the one announcing that Someone has gone missing again, and no one seems to be able to know how. And when the players come into the village, they kind of ask around. The villagers like, hey, you should talk to the mayor. He knows the most information. He probably can give you the best bet. Or maybe there's another character, too, if you want to roleplay it, like a warden or like a local city watch that you can add to. Or an innkeeper or like if you're going to go to like a bar, very commonly used in in high fantasy settings. Yeah. And then you could probably move the villain around. It doesn't have to be the mayor. It could be like the barkeeper. It could be someone else. But the idea is that he's someone with a position of power and he uses his magical abilities of turning people into dolls or into puppets. And by doing so, he's removing his political opponents and anyone who doesn't agree with him because he's gone mad with power. He's learned evil magic, essentially. Ooh. Actually, one thing that might be better in this situation is the fact that since this is an ongoing thing that's occurring, is that when the players enter the village, it's actually three days or so before the full moon occurs. Because if we just come back after a full moon, that means that the likelihood that anyone else will be able to be turned into a puppet is less likely. Mm, so if okay, you if okay. you do it prior to the next full moon, that means there's a chance for either a party member as, as well to be turned into a puppet okay maybe that means their spell slots or uh, abilities are like halved or something movements is decreased yeah i mean we can even push it closer we can just say the next full moon is tonight okay yeah that works too that way we kind of put that agenda ahead of them and then they can also have the ability to know it's like oh maybe we'll keep watch and mm-hmm. look for the culprit who does this and yeah. it could be one of them gets turned into a puppet or maybe he has another target he's aiming for and then someone gets in the way so it could be like this combat encounter that occurs so we have some mystery element here. On top of that, I think it would be fun to give them the chance to investigate the last crime scene. Maybe they can lock on the door of a widow or a young boy whose father was turned into a puppet. 
possibly, and they didn't know. I think that'd be easier, especially if they're going to do them. Well, it'd be easier for them to get that sense of urgency to get that resolved. Yeah, because when they talk to the town folk when they enter, the main thing that they have to know, the key point, is that on a full moon, someone goes missing from the village. And there's a full moon tonight. So they're worried. And number three, the most recent person who has gone missing was maybe the woodsman, the guy who cuts down trees and gathers lumber for the village, okay? He's gone missing, and all that's left is his son, who's kept his things in the same place. That way you can possibly investigate the last known scene of the crime or where he was, right? Yeah, the other thing you could do if you wanted to give the players more of a, hey, this is the reason why we have to do this, is that if they got a quest beforehand to go to this village to locate a person that mm. was uh, like a war criminal or, or whatnot, but he's been, he's been gone for like over a month. Maybe they're looking for an informant for their main quest. Yeah, like, but the informant is the one that's missing. Ah, uh, yes, and he's so, one of the missing people. Yeah, ah. so that's why they need to get that information to figure out what happened to the informant. So now they have a reason to investigate the village. Yeah, a very solid way to tie this into a long-running campaign. Give them more reason to find out who's making these people missing. Hopefully he's still alive, but they don't know. They might have like a Vidri card from One Piece that's like, oh yeah, he's clearly alive. Have <laughs> a Vidri card? Yeah, I can see it's it's pointing in this direction. <laughs> yeah, he's here somewhere. I mean, if you want to give them that, just so they know how to move through the quest more effectively, you can. From a more mystery standpoint, you can also give them a chance to like investigate a missing person's location. And then from like a combat standpoint, they could just be doing watches at night. They're like on watch during the full moon to try to catch this criminal. And maybe they have to do like a combat encounter. Maybe he uses those puppets to fight people. Oh, okay. And they probably will hear about this witch in the woods that can use magic and creates like these wooden body parts for people. So that is like maybe their first suspect as well. Okay, but that's more of like a uh, red herring essentially for the storyline. Yeah, I, I like I like that idea. That's a that's something that we could definitely run with um, with this one. Okay, I, I was just thinking about like the obstacles we have to put in front of them because we've mm-hmm. given them three different ones to start with. I think we need to flush that out a bit more. Unless you think we need to work on the hook a bit more. No, I think the hook's fine. Plus, the, I think the resolution is pretty straightforward too in this scenario where what happens is you expose the criminal who's actually committing these puppeteering murders. Not really murder, I guess turning people into puppets. And then the town is saved, and then the people are turned back into their regular forms, and they are reunited with their loved ones. That's probably how the story ends. And then you also meet your informant that your quest line had originally given you to come here for. Yeah, and then you get the information if you wanted to continue with the next piece of information given. Yeah. Um, but how is how are the players supposed to figure out that it is the apprentice, essentially, rather than the witch? Let's put in some key objects that would probably lead to it, like clues to the fact that it is this person. Like, I think number one, you could figure out the pattern of people disappearing. Maybe they're all his political opponents or people have spoken out against the mayor. So it's like, oh, Uncle Joffrey and who works at, yeah, Uncle Joffrey, (laughs) who works at the post office, was planning to run against the mayor during the next, you know, cycle, but then he mysteriously went missing. Maybe that's one of the people that had gone missing. Or maybe he tried to run against them, and then he disappeared, so he won by default. This is very uh, Game of Thrones-esque. Wouldn't a lot of people just be all like, 
No, it was definitely the mayor then. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, you can change the name around. I, Joffrey was the first one I thought of. I forgot okay. he was in Game of Thrones. <laughs> he was a dick. <laughs> you could use avatar names. You can call him Aang or something. Um, Zuko. You can call him Zuko or Zuzu or whatever. You know, Zuzu. throw in whatever you want. Yeah. Momo. Yeah, Lomo. Yeah, one of the characters, his name could just be Lomo, you know? Lomo was planning to run against the mayor, and then suddenly during his cycle, he disappeared, and no one knew where he went. He just left a hurried letter saying he left town, and it's like, oh, okay, but no one saw him left town, and all his stuff is still here, so that's weird. And then you can add in, like, more people that went missing. Maybe someone spoke out against the mayor, or, like, threw, spilled juice on his shirt, and then they went missing, you know? Just people that are tied to the mayor that have gone missing, that could be one of the trails. Mm -hmm. uh, the other option is that you could go and visit the hag in the woods, part of, like, because you maybe assume that she is the problem here, and you find out that she has a picture of her and an apprentice that she taught, like, magic, and then she maybe gives you some storylines on, like, this person, but the mayor may have changed his name. Maybe his name, when he was young, was uh, Young Eddie, and now he goes by Edward, and you're like, ah, this is the villain. <laughs> Eddie and Edward, yes, that's that's gonna be a... Uh, a thing that they're gonna be like, oh no, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> yeah, or you can change his name to Jacob or something, and boom, there's the there's the ah, okay, Twilight okay, reference okay. you can throw in there. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> so those are some ideas there on how to lead them a certain way. Did you have any ideas on how to maybe guide them towards the fact that it's the mayor that's actually the villain here? I think what would be an easier thing too is in the case if they if your party was to infiltrate the witch's lair and it like say in the maybe the room where she does make all her, her workshop area in the there's room where it happens yeah okay. yeah yeah where the magic happens there's like a painting or a, a thing where it shows all of the other people that may work for her yeah and like all of her apprentices and her yeah. friends and families her hag coven that she hangs out with you know okay that or if in that picture possibly it's, it's like torn and it removes a specific individual from it. And then they find that missing piece and realize that that, uh, that person was one missing. And you realize who that person is now. I like that. So we have an idea of like if they visit the witch, maybe the thing that they have to role play through is to find out the information about her coven. Maybe they sneak into her hut to find this information themselves. Or maybe they just go up and talk to her because they're like, oh, maybe she's not evil. That could be one direction they take. The other options that we've had presented so far is just they can investigate the town and find clues that it could be the mayor, not the witch. Or maybe there could be like some red herring clues that lead him to the witch as well. It's like, oh, here's a strand of animal pelt that no one in the village ever uses or something. Or maybe it's uh, uh, not an animal that's common in that area, but commonly used with her production of body parts, ligaments. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like maybe it's like a toad's foot or something yeah. that she uses. Okay. I think that's a fun way to kind of start pushing them towards that direction. And I, I'd still like to have the option available where if they're doing a stakeout, maybe they have a combat encounter with this hooded figure who controls little puppets to fight them. And the puppets <laughs> all somehow look very similar to the people that have gone missing. So maybe that's the combat encounter. You have a puppet master enemy who can control three puppets, and he has a special ability to turn people into puppets once every full moon. Okay, if a party member is turned... Are we going to give them like a time period when they come become back to normal, or are they just stuck in that state until the end of the? Um, I think we can say that if they're turned, we'll say that when they become a puppet, mechanically they shrink in size, so they become tiny. All right, that's probably yeah. one of the the effects of it. Their movement speed goes down a little bit as part of being cursed. 
to be a puppet, and they can't be oh, okay. turned back to being human until they get the puppet master to reverse the curse, or maybe they kill the puppet master. So if a person has enlarge as a spell, would that return their movement speed back to normal? I think tiny only brings you up to small or something. So like you only go up one size. You don't oh, go up true. like back to huge or anything. Oh, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make them all the way to tiny. Like if they're I if think they're so. all... okay, okay. Yeah, because I feel like I want this curse to be impactful enough to feel different for yeah. those who are looking for a combat encounter. Okay. But like I don't want to take everything away from them. Like they can still yeah. fight, you know, they yeah. can still do combat. And maybe the reason that they can still move while all the other puppets can't is that what he does is he turns them into puppets and then like puts like this weird like staining or ichor on them that locks them in place. So they're kind of glued sh- glued in place. Maybe it's a super glue or something. <laughs> okay. No, I I do like that. I, that is, that's a that's a good point that we could probably add in there. Did you want to use like the enlarge and uh, reduce mechanics in re- regards to like how it affects roles? Uh what how do they affect roles realistically because i think when you use enlarge slash reduce um it like adds like a, a 4d or something like that or decreases oh, let me see here disadvantage on strength checks uh strength saving throws weapons target also shrinks okay reduce weapons attack targets deal 1d for less damage but can't reduce the damage below one yeah i w- i think if we were making this one shot i would present it as an option because it does add that feeling of, oh, this is like a very detrimental curse, and you want to break it. And then they have a fun role-playing moment, but it kind of depends on your players, right? Because if your players are very adverse to having anything like affect their characters too much, then don't do it. Then just make them small and just lower their movement speed a little bit at most. But I would say adding the reduced potential to it would be a fun mechanical aspect that makes role-playing interesting in the scenario. And because they're tiny, they also have the ability to sneak into places much more easier. Ah, uh, okay. Advantage on stealth checks. Okay. Yeah. And maybe there's like a secret room hidden in the mayor's office somewhere that they have to climb in, but it's not reachable. Maybe it's in the attic or the basement and only puppets can get in or something. That might be a way how it's, how it's set up. Oh, it's like a pipe that's small, that's too sm- uh, small for regular people, but just big enough for a puppet to just make their way through. Exactly. It could be if in case people are trying to sneak into the mayor's hidden room or something, that could be an option here, too. And I think another clue, this is just something I thought of, uh, is that like the wood that they find at these locations, maybe there's like shavings like sawdust and the wood matches like the wood that the hag uses for her contraptions for the animals that are harmed. And that's why you're like, oh, clearly this wood only grows here. You're clearly related to this. Otherwise, why is there all this wood dust everywhere? on all these crimes so that's like a another like red herring yeah another red herring for the players to follow but as far as combat goes the main thing is just that yeah like he has the special legendary action that he can use once per moonlight to turn people into puppets but when he turns one of the players into puppets because he isn't able to grab hold of them and put wires on them they can move freely and are not under his control Ooh, okay can he still talk uh the players the puppet player yeah, 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 I don't see why not. I think it'd be funny that he could talk. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a very funny role play to set up for players. Like, ah, you've been turned into a puppet, but you can talk and move and dance. You're Pinocchio. Now, please elevate your the your speaking octave by two, and there we go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it'd be fun if they wanted to do that way. But overall, <laughs> I think it's a fun concept for them, and it's a fun combat encounter, because now they're like, oh, here are puppet enemies that exist, but now one of our players got turned into a puppet. We have to be careful. We don't know if he can do it more than once, but... 
Oh, like we as the DM know, he yeah. can do it more than one. He can only do it once per moonlight. But yeah. the players don't know that. They're like, oh no, we have to be careful not to get hit by that ability. I mean, one could probably infer in the case if there's only one person that gets removed from the village each moonlight. Yeah. So if if people are thinking through it, they could probably assume that's only once. But you you never know. Yeah, you never know, and I think that adds to that like danger of the combat encounter. But if they're like very strategic or they're thinking of it in that same mindset, because like when you're playing in that scenario as a player, you don't know. You might not catch that like hint. You're like, oh, maybe he only targets one person at a time. You don't know. You don't know. Okay, I think that's that does set up a lot of it for us. Um, do you can you foresee any potential issues that a player may run into because of? of what we've currently had so far um i think the big thing is just them getting lost on where to go maybe they get confused they try to talk to everyone um because it is a mystery so it's like even if you set up all these clues it's like ah yes it's the lady on the hill it's the hag on the hill okay you see the dust from her wood you see like these uh the missing people maybe are all specifically enemies the mayors like these things are interesting and like you would have to like very like you can't hide them behind dice checks. Number one, like oh no, no, yeah, for sure. That's... Like when they come in. <laughs> Sorry, you're saying. Um, I think the way you would do dice checks in the scenario, like oh, you walk into this room where the huntsman has gone missing or the woodsman has gone missing, and you roll an investigation check. Okay, you see that he's gone missing. Maybe you see like tiny footsteps in the area, yeah. no matter what, and a lot of people. You're like, oh, that's weird. And you also see that like the key uh, clue items are still there. But maybe you find out more information the higher you go. It's like, oh, because you rolled higher, you know specifically this dust isn't naturally made. Like, it's not made from him cutting wood in the mill. It's, like, made from someone, like, doing wood carving or something. You're like, oh, okay, so that maybe leads to the hag. The villagers are very quick to, like, say that, like, oh, we believe it's the hag. Or maybe the mayor has, like, some, like, political enemies that have disappeared. Like, they're very forthcoming with the information is the main thing I would probably recommend for any DMs running this. Yeah, I don't think you should ever hold key information that will push the story into a dice check. That just sounds like that sounds terrible <laughs> in a yeah, way where like, if you, everyone fucks up, you're like, "Well, sorry, this key information that you needed to progress uh, is now locked behind this dice." Yeah, so maybe like they don't find out like, oh, maybe like the higher dice check, like the higher investigation check shows the, t- the tons of tiny footprints. And that leads them to believe that you'll be fighting a lot of more enemies. Maybe that's the higher dice check that you're looking for. But the smaller dice check is that like you find the sawdust and the, the scrape, the wood carving scrapings. I think that's better. It's not sawdust. It's yeah. wood carving scrapings. And then when you're talking to like the tavern owner and they're like, oh, um, roll a persuasion check on like how well you convince him to help you. He's like, hey. Like, at the very least, he's like, hey, people disappear on the full moon, and these are the guys who've disappeared recently. That's all I know. So, But if you roll higher, he's like, hey, the people that disappeared, they didn't really like the mayor too much, and we don't like saying stuff about that because we don't want to piss off the mayor because he's done a lot of good for us, and most people like him, but... But he's a dick. Like, there's some weird patterns here. Yeah. Or, Or maybe another villager is just like, hey, that mayor, he just showed up one day, like, three, like, a few years ago, like or earlier this year and then he won the election like without really like just out of nowhere it's like this is kind of wild like people like maybe that's the dice check answer you get but maybe if you don't succeed in the dice check it's like yeah the mayor showed up like a year ago he's just brand new no one's seen him before like no one found that weird like ah people show up in this town all the time look at you 
So maybe that's how they set it up. Okay, yeah, and the fact that he's done so much quote-unquote good for the village, they elected him to be the mayor. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But what they don't know is maybe that there was a kid or a younger being here that existed that was like a little unhinged that lived here, and he disappeared for a while and then came back, and maybe they bring it, maybe that's the higher dice check too. You reveal that there was once another boy here, his name was Edward, and he was very brutal and got like, into fights with like tons of the kids around town all the time and maybe the people he got in a fight with before are all gone now for some reason like they all disappeared without question and that's a way you can set it up yeah i don't i think that works i'm just trying to think if there's anything that a dm would run into that would be a potential issue i guess uh, do you feel as though this could be fit into a like a uh like a four to six hour one shot um yes this is going to depend on the DM skill level for sure, because maintaining that time coda here will be based off of what your players are doing and how well you can push them forward. Because if it's a mystery and they show up in a village, one of the big problems people have is like, I don't know where to start, you know, and no one is willing to take the lead. So one of my recommendations is that if no, if everyone looks confused and they're looking at each other like, you say something, no, you say something, you as the DM can offer them three options. You can be like, hey... You know the mayor exists here, and he's supposedly one of the people that has a lot of information. You might want to talk to him. You also know that there's a hag in the woods that supposedly controls this stuff, but she's probably dangerous based off what the village has told you. Or you can go talk to the tavern keeper, and he can point you in the right direction of other people around town, if you want to do the roleplay session. Or The last time you did that to us, that took eight hours. (laughs) I mean, part of the reason that took eight hours for me was I added in a combat encounter because I thought it would be, like, interesting, just, like, as a funny, like, oh, ha-ha. And then it took way longer than I expected, so. That was part of the issue. Okay. And the other part of that was we also ate beforehand, so that ate up a lot of time, too. That's true. But if you're looking to run it more effectively, which learning from that experience, too, is that when your players are looking to do something and they're trying to figure out a mystery is to kind of keep giving them hints and clues and pushing them forward without giving away the whole story so they feel like, oh, you gave everything away to us. It's like, okay, these are the things you have. And one of the nice parts of running mysteries that I learned from that experience is to write down the clues they have ahead of time on like a big board or give it to them. That way they can remember like, oh, right, we found this thing that's missing. Oh, we found this thing that's missing. All oh right, yeah, that's our clue. That's probably a good idea. Or you could do like some sort of parchment that if you were to, uh, if a player does find, you could actually physically hand it to them that they could reference. Exactly. Yeah, give them like actual notes and clues and tips just directly to them. That way they remember like, oh yeah, we found this, and they can keep moving forward with it, and it will kind of stay in front of their memory because they see it written there. Okay, and it also saves time because they don't have to ask you every time. It's like, oh yeah, what happened there? And like that, that just eats time. Yeah, and if your players are going to it much quicker, you can slide in more combat encounters. Maybe the puppet master sends his little puppet goons to attack you. There's a quick combat encounter if you want to do it. Just three puppets. There could be villagers that just don't like new people, and they're like, or maybe they work for the mayor, and they're just goons, and they're like, hey, we're here to rough you up, and then you just fight them and kick their ass. <laughs> so you're just running you're just running into the woods, and you just notice three people from like the security force just like, hey, we're, you know, you're in violation of, you're not supposed to be in, the, in this area. It's restricted. Exactly. Like, this is for people who are maybe looking for more combat. It's like, you run to security goons, that's a modular combat that you can add in or take out. You can run some puppets that they throw at them. Maybe he turned, like, a local owlbear or beast into a puppet and he's using it to, like, take out his enemies in the forest. That could be a whole thing. Those are options, but, uh, 
combat takes a while for sure, so just a heads up. So the Puppet Master battle at the end probably will take you like an hour or two, and then you're kind of working with like two hours of them role-playing and figuring out the mystery. That's all going to depend on how well you as a DM can communicate the clues and ideas being presented to them, and how well they are at receiving them and willing to take initiative. Because a big part of mysteries is the players have to be focused on getting through the goals and moving forward and they can't be like oh what do you want to do no what do you want to do for like five minutes okay and to tie it back into avatar the final battle just incorporates four elementals you have a fire elemental air elemental water yeah (laughs) oh it could be do you remember that enemy uh that akatsuki member in naruto who has like different hearts and stuff with like different elements maybe it's like that maybe he's like imbued them with different elemental magic so like one of the puppets can breathe fire and other puppets can do or maybe this is more like a the gara's brother thing who can who's a puppet master yeah oh okay maybe it's like that maybe that's how it's set up they all have like different abilities and you can tailor them to be more interesting in that aspect for the combat that would probably make it like a lot longer too but yeah maybe it one would puppet but might... it would also make it so that like say the just like in Naruto, if you're talking about that, like if you were to trap someone, you think you got them, but it ended up being like one of the puppets instead. Yes, exactly. Yeah, like if you did catch the shady figure at night, it's actually like his puppet that he uses to control, and then you beat it. It's like, oh, it's a puppet. It's a big puppet, but you see it has strings attached, but the str- and you follow the strings, but the strings get cut. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. what happened? And that could be a fun little way. And then maybe when you go and investigate places later, you're like, oh, there are strings here, and I don't know where they're from. And they're magical threads that are only sold at this specific tailor shop. And this tailor shop's like, oh, yeah, the mayor's recently bought, like, a ton of these threads recently. And it's like, ah, that's suspicious. And then you go visit the mayor, and the mayor's like, oh, I use it for my new fancy clothes. Can't you tell? But he's clearly lying. <laughs> And then in the background, all you do is just keep uh, the that Pinocchio song, the I Got No Strings. You, you know what that song is? Have you heard that song? Yeah, yeah, I, I remember. It's been a long time, though. It's a good song. It's a good song. I think I think they used it in in Ultron, if you, were, if you remember the uh, Avengers 2 movie. Yes, yes. Yeah, because they tied it, they like referenced it a bit. Yes, good reference, good reference. Good reference. We did a great job. Good callback, guys. yeah. But, uh, I mean, Andrew, like, how well do you think we stuck to the prompt today with this adventure we made? I think the overall topic in regards to her story bases works out. Um, I don't know how much of the elements outside of your talking about strictly just Avatar, but I think the overall premise, I think that works out. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And as, like, a quick recap for the people listening, specifically you, Richard, because I know you love those recaps, it's the way this one-shot works is it starts off with the players coming to a creepy village where a lot of their denizens have gone missing on full moons and it just so happens tonight is going to be another full moon the mayor is announcing the most like the dangers of it and telling people to lock their doors and stuff and you can talk to either the mayor to get information about the village and what's happening you can talk to the tavern keeper and you can talk to anyone on the village honestly and the main thing that they're going to tell you is that there's a hag in the wood that can use like mat- powerful wood magic. People have gone missing at night on the full moon, and there's weird wood car- uh, shavings there. Okay, those are kind of like the key factors. And then if they're rolling high, or maybe they're digging a bit deeper into information, they can find out who specifically has been missing. They have been like political opponents, or people have spoken up against the mayor. Um, 
they they might find like certain types of thread and if those threads could lead them to the tailor which the tailor sells they sold a big shipment to the mayor and the mayor's like hey i use it for my clothes and that's kind of how he scapegoats that argument if they go and visit the hag the hag will talk about how she's lived here for all her time and she doesn't go in the village because they don't like her because they think she's creepy which to be fair you're making wooden body parts for animals which i mean it's cool for us but i'm sure the villagers find it odd and then you can use magic so that's kind of unique and then she talks about how she has an apprentice before that's picture in her thing it's like a young child that no one really seen before you can also do a combat encounter at night where you, you do a stakeout and you fight a puppet master and his puppet goons turns out the puppet master is actually a puppet himself who has threads and you're trying to figure out who the true puppet master is and he has the ability to turn people into puppets once per moonlight okay i'm trying to think of what other clues we have to make sure that the player knows to point it at the mayor am i missing anything I mean, I guess if we incorporate the goons, like you said, the, I mean, that's the reason why, like, well, why are these guys inhibiting us from doing our search to figure out what's going on? Yeah, for sure. And maybe they got, and uh, again, the players are looking for an informant for their journey. That That's why they were sent here. Um, that's a way to tie into something else. Uh, other quest lines, if you want to. And if you don't have that available to you, or you don't want to use that, you can also say, like, one of the villagers offers to help. Maybe the woodsman's son has recently acute some gold is like hey i need you to figure out where my father went like because i want to find him again i think that works okay um and the resolution is you find out the mayor is actually the criminal um he's the one who's been remo- using his magic that he's learned from the hag in the woods uh maybe the people that disappeared are also people that he got in fights with as a kid that he didn't like and he was bought once part of this village he disappeared and he came back later on like that's his storyline okay um it's very loose to be fair but you can definitely fill in the gaps on, like, why he's the way he is. You can make him, like, a tragic villain. He could just be evil and corrupt. There's told me, there's a lot of directions. He could just like puppets and have a weird... Uh, I, I don't want to say he has a weird fetish. That gets kind of odd, too. Uh, I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth, man. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll skip that one. I would not recommend that, but you can whoa, do it whoa, if that's whoa, what you whoa. want. Maybe, he just, maybe he's a furry, okay? And that's the reason why all the other fur that you find in the in the woods. Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> he, he, yeah. Oh no, he's a collector. He just likes yeah. collecting toys. Okay, that's right. Yeah, let's let's see way of from the fetishizing <laughs> here, and we'll just say he's a collector. He likes the specific ways things are done. He likes collecting a lot of things and making specific figures in his case match up. Yeah. So that's the direction. But either way, it resolves the everyone gets turned back to normal after either the puppet master dies or he releases his spell. Um, and one of your players could be cursed. They could take the reduce effect on them, and that could be a fun way to play it. Um, yeah, and he can only do it on the moon, okay? One moonlight, one one shot, one kill. But he can control the puppets, okay? Uh, yeah, is there anything you want to add, Andrew, before we close out? That sounds like something I would want to play. How about you? I like it. It's not too bad to run. I like running mysteries, and it's good practice. Overall, the main tips here are just don't hide key clues behind the dice checks, and make sure that you have the players be willing to ask questions and push forward, and if they need to, you can push them a little bit. Be like, hey, um, it's getting late. Night's coming in. Now you're, fight, you're staking out. Or maybe some of the security guards show up just to cause trouble. Boom. There, there's if they're not moving, you can bring some trouble to them, and maybe the security guard carries some of the clues on him. Maybe they're like, oh yeah, they work for the mayor, and like, why is the mayor causing you trouble, etc., etc. Same as what Andrew said earlier. And then uh, lastly, keeping the clues written out in front of them will help them maintain 
their pacing because they'll see the clues in front of them and that'll help jog their memory on where they're supposed to go. Sounds good, man. Okay, but yeah, uh, that's our one shot that we made. Thank you all for listening to One Shot at a Time. This one was based off of the Puppet Master episode from Avatar The Last Airbender. I'm your forever Dungeon Master, Daniel Locke. And I'm Andrew. He's Andrew. He's very happy to be Andrew. I am very happy to be Andrew. My life's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, his life is pretty good. His life is dope. He'll be back next season again, hope, uh, I believe. Yes, no. He will be back next season again. We will be working on a minor pivot away from Dungeons & Dragons for one season. We're going to be trying making one-shot adventures for the TTRPG Blades in the Dark. Uh, we'll have a link to it with the basic rule sets, and we'll try to make one-shot adventures on that. Uh, it's going to be a new fun experience that we've honestly never done before. So we're learning the rules too. So we'll see how it goes. You excited, Andrew? I mean, yeah, it's not that much different from what I'm doing now. I still don't know that much about D and D rulebook, let alone this one. So fair, fair, <laughs> fair. Hey, I'm sure. I'm hopefully while you're here, you've learned a lot and made you want to run being a DM. But next week we will be on break. We'll probably release a short Q and A wrap up episode for our next episode. And then after this, starting from season five, we're going to move to biweekly. We're going to do one episode every other week, just to give myself a bit more sanity with editing and just for scheduling purposes uh other than that though uh please leave a five-star review on apple spotify or wherever you listen it really helps us out a lot with the algorithm please tell your friends where the mouth is the best way to help our podcast and spread the love and maybe get more people into D or any tabletop role-playing game at this point oh and then uh email us if you have any prompts suggestions you want us to tackle you can email us at one shot at a time cast at gmail.com you can also tweet us at one shot at a time on twitter as always, we're really grateful for you guys to listen to us. Uh, thank you for staying with us for this whole year. We'll definitely try to make more stuff. And if you have anything else you want us to see us do, uh, we'll definitely try tackling it. Um, other than that, we'll be at Arizona conventions, probably running panels here and there. So come say hi. This has been a fun experience this whole year. So I hopefully we can do more. Well, thanks for taking me on that journey, man. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, see you all next time, next Tuesday. Bye.